Hello, I'm Paulette Lee, and you're listening to Woman Worthy, real talk about real issues for women over 60. If you're over 60, you're still worthy of being heard. Over the past year, I've stepped away from volunteering with two different organizations, in part because I felt competition was at play and I wasn't interested in playing. I've always been more of a self-motivated achiever, not particularly motivated by winning or besting someone else or keeping up with the Joneses. A former friend of mine, and here comes the reason why she's a former friend, well, not really, but she once commented, quote, you think you're better than other people because you travel a lot, unquote. I had absolutely no idea what she meant. Why would something I enjoy be a standard for judging others? Why would interests be competitive? And a current friend who has a long history of sibling rivalry, even into her senior years, suggested I do a podcast on competition. So, here it is. Starting at the macro level, our American economy, a market-based capitalism, is based on competition. In an interesting 2021 paper from the White House, the Biden administration writers say, quote, healthy market competition is fundamental to a well-functioning U.S. economy. Basic economic theory demonstrates that when firms have to compete for customers, it leads to lower prices, higher quality goods and services, greater variety, and more innovation. Excuse me. Competition is critical not only in product markets, but also in labor markets. When firms compete to attract workers, they must increase compensation and improve working conditions. This is still from this 2021 White House paper. Quote, there is evidence that in the United States, markets have become more concentrated and perhaps less competitive across a wide array of industries. For beef packers now control, this was 2021, over 80% of their market, domestic air travel is now dominated by four airlines, and many Americans have only one choice of reliable broadband provider. There are a number of reasons for these trends toward greater concentration, including technological change, the increasing importance of winner-take-all markets, and more lenient government oversight over the last 40 years, unquote. In a 2014 article for Entrepreneur, author Steve Toback takes a really aggressive pro-competition stance, writing, quote, Instead of facing reality and admitting the truth, that it's a competitive world and we need to beat out everyone else to come out on top, we come up with foolish utopian notions that everyone is a winner and why can't we all just get along? That's not what humans do. In our personal lives, we compete for mates and friends. In the workplace, we compete for jobs, raises, promotions, benefits, choice projects, mindshare, budget, you name it, we compete for it. This is still Steve Toback writing. Sure, for some of us, uh, some of us get along on a good day. Besides, everyone can't be a winner. Contrary to all the feel-good BS you read these days, markets are zero-sum games, more or less. There are a finite number of customers and amount of money to spend. 
Yes, markets do tend to expand over time, but that's on a macro level. Every transaction still has exactly one winner and lots of losers. Continuing to quote, competition is not going to kill you. On the contrary, win or lose, it will make you stronger. Without competition, there would be no natural selection. There would be no evolution. There would be no human race. Competition doesn't just create winners and success stories. It builds strong personalities, resilience and determination, a sense of humor and humility. It builds high-performing entrepreneurs, executives, and business leaders. It makes us strong. Competition leads to innovation and advances in technology. That's why we say necessity is the mother of invention. So is adversity and desperation that come from wanting a better life than you have and coming up with new ways to earn it. There was a grammatical error in that mistake. That's my uh, little aside here. And he concludes this section by saying, that's how competition advances civilization forward. (laughs) Well, there is a reason why I mentioned the author's name. He's a man. And studies show again and again that, at least in certain age groups, men are more competitive than women. For example, an often cited University of Oregon psychology study, uh, it's from 2012, it's entitled Competitiveness Across the Lifespan, the Feisty 50s, suggests that, quote, competitive preference increased across the lifespan until they peaked around age 50 and dropped thereafter. We also found that throughout, men had a substantially larger preference for competing than women, extending previous findings on college-aged participants." Going back to that entrepreneur article, uh, Steve Toback's worldview is eat or be eaten, uh, dog eat dog, you're either the diner or the dinner. Well, personally, I don't share that worldview because I think it's missing a very important player, the meal planner, food purchaser, and cook, the person who brings together the diners and the dinner, the creative force behind the effort, which again, in the diner-dinner analogy, most often is a woman. And even if it's not a woman, it's the role that's essential, the non-competitive role of connectivity between tasks and between players. To return to the University of Oregon study, the researchers explained they were interested in characterizing age differences in competitive behavior, and they looked at a number of factors. It's really quite an interesting study, one that I pretty much understood, given that I'm not prone to understanding um, much in statistics. I'm putting the link to it, of course, on the Woman Worthy Facebook page. So one characteristic change they found associated with aging that resonated with me was, quote, from performance motivation toward an internal reference frame, a shift from an ego-centered toward a pro-social orientation. Again, this is a factor that they found that changes as people age. Their attitude toward competition goes from performance motivation toward an internal reference frame, a shift from an ego-centered toward a pro-social orientation. And I found that to be true for me, even though, I, as I say, I was never particularly competitive with other people. 
So while there may be cognitive, emotional, hormonal, or situational changes that affect our interest in and ability to compete, in my opinion, it is indeed our shifting perspective that is the most significant contributor as we age. It just doesn't matter anymore if it ever did, what position, what title, what income, what status, what university ad nauseum. Been there, done that. And if it does still matter to you, maybe you should ask yourself, why does it? Now, on personal levels, do competition, rivalries, and jealous, jealousies still exist in our so-called golden, really, years? Why does my friend still experience the pain and alienation of her sibling rivalry? Well, it should come as no surprise to anyone that it all goes back to mom or dad loves or loved you more than me. Actually, in my case, it was my mother feeling competitive with me, but that's a whole other topic, isn't it, mothers and daughters? <laughs> in her article, I Hate My Sister, What to Do When You Feel Hate Towards Siblings, author Sanjana Gupta offers some reasons for sister rivalry, including the perception of parental favoritism, jealousy over having been compared to each other, evolving uh, personalities that often result in disapproval of each other's choices, which in turn can lead to arguments. There are external stressors, maybe actual abuse, different values or approaches to interpersonal interaction. Lack of proximity or time together could also contribute to the disaffection. And indeed, parenting does play a significant role in contributing to adult sibling rivalry. In her article, How to Handle the Stress of Adult Sibling Rivalry, psychologist Dr. Elizabeth Scott says, quote, while parents may strive to remain unbiased when it comes to their kids, favoritism is actually very common and the impact of this favoritism can be lasting. Research suggests that the effects of perceived parental favoritism can last through life, unquote. Dr. Scott cites a Cornell University study that included interviews with 275 uh, mothers in their 60s and 70s and their 671 offspring. 70% of the mothers could specify a child to whom they felt closest. Interestingly, only 15% of interviewed offspring felt that there was equal treatment by their mothers. And as an aside here, it appears this also happens in royal families. If you'll recall, I think it was in an episode of The Crown, there was discussion about uh, which child Queen Elizabeth favored, and I believe it was, um, is it Edward or Andrew? Um, definitely not the now King Charles. And uh, her husband, um, Prince Philip, favored their daughter, Anne. Anyway, sibling rivalry obviously is well-founded with its uh, causes clearly identifiable. But how to handle it, especially at this point in our lives? Speaking in the present tense, as if your parents were still alive, Dr. Scott recommends don't take parental favoritism personally, find support elsewhere in your life, don't perpetuate the sibling rivalry, and forge your own relationship with your parents and invest in your own family. Okay, all very well and good, but what if your parents are no longer alive 
and the sibling rivalry continues to simmer, if not boil over. This recommendation seems to apply, quote, accept the reality of the situation in order to come from a place of personal power, not need. Notice everything that you get from other areas of your life and realize that your family of origin is only one part of your life and it doesn't have to be the most important part. In her Psychology Today article, Six Steps for Dealing with Adult Sibling Rivalry, Dr. Suzanne Degas-White of Northern Illinois University notes, quote, trying to fix a family problem by trying to fix a family member's attitude is seldom successful. Family roles are the product of years of practice. It may only take 21 days to break a personal bad habit, but role-based family behaviors can be much more intractable because many siblings prefer to avoid admitting that they have problem behaviors and do not want to accept a sibling's suggestion that they change, unquote. Dr. Degas White takes the power of one approach. That is, it takes only one person to change to what she calls reset the family system. And she offers six suggestions on how to do that. Quote, bear in mind that you and your siblings each had different relationships with your parents. Not only that, but your parents were different people when each of you entered the family constellation. Siblings who always want to one-up you, even in adulthood, clearly have a limited repertoire of engagement strategies. Recognize that a little bit of modeling in your own interactions may be needed to move them out of the competitive rut they're stuck in. Acknowledge that competition may be driven by childhood feelings of insecurity and a reaction to perceived scarcity. Some siblings will continue to fuel such a rivalry well into adulthood. If this happens in your family, Keep the conversation moving forward and do not let yourself be antagonized into responding. As parents often tell their children, it takes two to start a fight. If you've already had all the sibling squabbling you can tolerate, don't engage further. Continuing to quote, if a sibling simply cannot move past the past, perhaps you should have a face-to-face, heart-to-heart discussion with him or her. Perhaps you might want to share your perspective on how you felt inferior to the sibling growing up. It is said that adulthood turns rivalry into envy. If someone is envious of what you have accomplished, that says a lot about their own self-esteem and sense of accomplishment. If a sibling tries to denigrate your accomplishments, perhaps you can diffuse the building tension by admitting that you haven't accomplished all that your sibling has. If all, else, all, if all else fails, limit time with a rivalrous sibling and simply let their comments float by if you must be in his or her company. The best way to end a fight is often to refuse to engage in the first place. Breaking old patterns is seldom simple. Sometimes you might be the only person who desires change. Remember, though, it only takes one person to change the functioning of an entire family system. And when you shift your behavior, your siblings have no choice but to shift in response. It may take a while to reach the optimal level of interaction, 
but knowing that you are making optimal choices provides momentum to keep doing that new thing you're doing, end quote. So if you find that you're still governed by sibling rivalry or really any kind of competitiveness that prevents you from living your own true uh, life to the fullest, you might want to seek additional help from a religious counselor or a therapist. If you don't know or don't have a therapist, you might want to contact an online therapy service such as BetterHelp. I'll post a link to reviews of such services on the Woman Worthy Facebook page. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. You have been listening to Woman Worthy, real talk about real issues for women over 60. Tune in wherever you receive your podcasts with new episodes every Monday morning. You can leave your comments by downloading the Podbean app to your device and on the Woman Worthy Facebook page. I'm Paulette Lee. I hope you found this program worthy of your time.